0: Alan Hirschfeld is a professor of physics at the University of Massachusetts Dartmouth and associate of the Harvard College Observatory. We've talked to him previously about his excellent book, Parallax, The Race to Measure the Cosmos. But he has a new book out we want to talk to him about titled, Eureka Man, The Life and Legacy of Archimedes. Welcome back to Radio Parallax, Dr. Alan Hirschfeld.
1: Okay, thank you, Doug.
0: Can we start with the fact that when you first... uh, sent me an email uh, several weeks back about, about this new book, and I said I was interested. That very day, I went over to our state capitol here in Sacramento, and I had to laugh because I walked in and looked down at our state motto, out in the nicely put out in the tile floor, saying, well, the, well with the expression, Eureka, which, of exactly. course, famously comes from Archimedes. Can we talk about that famous expression and its origins?
1: Sure. We're not precisely sure what the origins are we just know what people said about (laughs) the the incident uh i I think a lot of people know that archimedes is said to have had this moment of inspiration while he was taking a bath and leaped out of the bath ran naked through the streets (laughs) of his native syracuse in sicily in sicily shouting eureka eureka i have found it so uh That's that's how the story goes, and uh, I guess if you believe that story, I I have a few bridges I'd I'd (laughs) like to try to sell you. But the the story behind that inspiration is apparently true that uh, the king of that uh, city engaged Archimedes to try and solve uh, a problem, but it was in solving that problem that he did have a moment of inspiration, apparently.
0: Well, just to kind of give the thumbnail sketch, I know he was, he was given a crown, and the, and the king asked him, Is it pure gold or not? And, and his inspiration in the bathtub was, Hey, I can figure out how you can tell that.
1: He realized that uh, if this crown were, say, cut with a baser metal, it would have a larger volume. It would literally take up more space than an equal weight of pure gold. And so he realized that if he set up a a block of pure gold and on one end of a balance, and then uh, this crown from the other end of the balance, and if he actually suspended this balance then in a uh, container of water, if the crown was counterfeit, the the balance would actually tip up. The crown would rise up higher than the... uh, the pure gold block, apparently that is what happened, and, uh, well, we can imagine what happened to the goldsmith who (laughs) tried to pass that off as pure gold.
0: Pretty ingenious. Now, I note in the book that you quote a lot of ancient uh, historians who, he had quite a reputation in ancient times, but they thought of him as kind of an inventor and a real uh, kind of MacGyver type.
1: Yes. I think if you were to ask Archimedes what he enjoyed doing the most, it would probably be the the pure mathematics, geometry, and such. But he was uh, quite an incredible and accomplished inventor. Uh, He supposedly invented something called the Archimedes screw, which is a hand-cranked irrigation device. He also developed, uh, I guess, practical uses of levers and pulleys supposedly, again, this is probably mythical, but uh, supposedly used these levers and pulleys to single-handedly launch a fully loaded ship from land into the water, Uh, and then toward the end of his life used his uh, inventing skills to develop some very, very fearsome uh, weapons of war that were actually... Put into use against uh, the Roman troops that attacked his home city of Syracuse.
0: Yeah, I learned a lot of history from your book. Apparently, Sicily and Syracuse is on Sicily is kind of stuck between the uh, the peninsula of Italy and 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 the Carthaginians. So the Sicily was kind of a, a political pawn. I mean, it was it was constantly being wooed and conquered by both sides. I guess with with different factions. And I know there's a there's a famous story of 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 Archimedes basically single-handedly thwarting the Roman fleet that you go into a little bit.
1: yeah, the the city of Sicily, which by the way, you know, was a Greek colony, so it was, it was very Greek, uh, and that city was built over many hundreds of years and was fortified. There was a wall surrounding the entire city, uh, even on the harbor side. So uh, it was rather easily defended. When the Romans did attack, uh, this was probably around the year 213 B.C., they attacked both with vessels from the sea and with troops from the land. And what they meant when they actually got to the walls was pretty much totally unexpected. Archimedes had used his incredible skills in, in physics and invention to, as I mentioned, make these amazing defensive weapons that just struck terror into the Romans. Uh, The ships that were approaching the seawall, for example, when they got up to the wall, these beams would swing out over the wall, grappling hooks would be dropped, and would actually latch onto the Roman ships, and some unseen forces behind the wall would lift up these hooks and just overturn the Roman ships so they couldn't even get close to uh, well, sending any troops from the ships over these walls. The decks were raked with projectiles that were shot by, uh, the mo- I guess, the ancient equivalent of crossbows, and uh, all sorts of devices that uh, uh, were really just totally unexpected by the Romans, and th- they fled, basically, to safe distance and then just sat there and laid siege for another year and a half. And it, it was clearly because of Archimedes' defenses that they could not break in, and was only because of subterfuge that they did manage to eventually get into the city and overwhelm the Syracusans.
0: Yeah, you've got a wonderful diagram in the book showing this claw device coming over, grabbing a ship and lifting it up and shaking it around. And
1: Yeah, it's basically a, basically a variation on a loading crane. That's that's what it is. But of course, to the Romans in the thick of battle, there it was something extremely disturbing.
0: <laughs> I guess also. I remember re- in high school they talked about. I remember hearing about Archimedes then, and that was the thought that he might have burned the ships using mirrors. But you don't, you don't uh, apparently give that one a lot of a lot of credence.
1: I looked into that. I mean, there there are plenty of reports, uh, that none of them credible. And in fact, there are a couple of groups who have tested this idea within the past few years. And uh, there was a group from MIT and also uh, the Mythbusters program on television actually tried to set a ship aflame (laughs) or a mock ship aflame by focusing sunlight on the ship at a distance. And the results were, well, less than impressive. So what, what I suspect, if there was the use of mirrors... It, it may have been used to deflect the brilliance of the sunshine onto the Roman ships, and maybe blind the uh, the uh, people on the vessel so that they couldn't see what they were coming in toward. But uh, to set them afire, that doesn't seem very likely.
0: Well, the book is about uh, Archimedes' life. Apparently, uh, we. A lot of it's been sort of lost in the fog of history, but particularly intriguing is the works of the man himself, in some cases, have survived, but boy, just barely.
1: That's right. Uh, You might say that there was a choke point, I guess, around the year 1000 or so, when all of his works in the original Greek were pretty much confined to what is now Turkey, the um, nation of Byzantium, as it was known back then. See, Archimedes was so specialized in many of his works, his mathematical works were so complex, that there weren't many people who really understood them. And so there wasn't really all that much call for, well, copying them over and distributing them beyond just a very few In this year 1000, we have just three compilations in the original Greek of all of these works. Uh, In the subsequent centuries, two of those were lost, fortunately after being copied or translated. And uh, the third one sort of snuck under the radar and then reemerged in the late 1800s and early 1900s and that one we actually still do have today, and it's called the Archimedes' Palimpsest. That one also sort of had a tumultuous time in the 20th century. It was rediscovered, and then by 1920 had disappeared again, only to resurface in the 1990s when it went on sale at uh, Christie's in New York.
0: Well, as you outline in the book, uh, it survives because... Somebody recycled it. Someone decided to make a, 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 to use the pages of, of I guess, calfskin vellum, which which was a good writing surface, and, and they made a religious text out of it.
1: That's right. That that may have been the only reason why it survived, because uh, you know the interest in mathematics certainly waxed and waned through the centuries, and there was a time when uh, an, an Archimedean treatise might just be thrown out if the uh, vellum was not in. Sufficiently good condition. But uh, this Archimedean treatise, wha- the, the, the vellum was good enough so that instead of throwing it out, they actually washed out the original mathematical text. Uh, not completely, however. So there's still a ghost of it left behind. And uh, monks overwrote it with a religious text and rebound it, and this became a sort of a, a religious user's manual. What what sorts of prayers do you say during certain uh, holidays and such? This was on the shelf of a monastery in Constantinople for centuries until uh, a cataloger came and saw it and then just noted that there was some mysterious mathematical writing underneath. And he copied out a small portion of it just as a sample. Uh, and when... Uh, randomly the world's foremost archimedean scholar happened to read this catalog and note that uh, this unusual manuscript with mathematical writing uh, it sounded kind of familiar to him and he went to take a look at it and concluded correctly that uh, what was underneath were the writings of archimedes not original writings but copied over
0: and Alan, I understand that among these texts was actually one piece that, that had actually been lost to history, that it had not been recorded back in the Middle Ages, and it, it survived only because it was on this, this uh, recycled bit of uh, religious text.
1: That's correct. This was just a remarkable discovery. Uh, Archimedes wrote a treatise that was mentioned in other sources and was known as The Method. Uh, and this was not in the other two compilations that I had mentioned before, but it was in the palimpsest. Uh, So this was the first time that any researcher was able to actually read what Archimedes had written, and it was just an astounding work that revealed some of his working methods, basically how he got his ideas for mathematical theorems and, and how he would do these Convoluted mathematical proofs that seemed to flow effortlessly from one step to through hundreds and hundreds of steps to a conclusion. It was rather a mystery how he found his way, but this treatise, The Method, revealed a lot about how he did that. And among the uh, in, incredible things about this particular treatise is that uh, in, in a few paragraphs, there, He does do some mathematical rendering that is something like calculus. Now, calculus basically uh, is a field of mathematics that allows one to compute areas and volumes of, of complicated objects, curved objects, things like that. And so he was just sort of starting to touch upon some of these basic concepts back in the 3rd century B.C., where, well, we really think of the invention of calculus as being in the 16th century A.D. by Newton and Leibniz. So it it just goes to show that this fellow Archimedes, whoever he was and whatever he really was like, was just so far advanced. In his time, it's just no wonder that uh, people back then thought that he was (laughs) not just a genius, but but virtually divine.
0: And and I guess at this point, uh, he's thought to be a great, uh, uh, um, I guess, mechanical engineer. But but where he's really respected is for his mathematics.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, you sort of look at the the whole purview of of what he did, and it, it just covers such a broad range of topics from pure mathematics to physics to mathematical physics to invention and engineering. Uh, he, he was, I guess you might say, a Renaissance man uh, thousands of years before the Renaissance even occurred. <laughs> Truly, a, yeah, a unique individual.
0: Well, the book is Eureka Man, The Life and Legacy of Archimedes. We're speaking with Alan Hirschfeld about this book, which I'm sure many of you are going to want to get, but... Uh, but before we close, I want to ask about uh, his death, which is quite celebrated, quite famous in history.
1: Yeah, here we we again are dealing with uh, stories that may or may not be true, uh, probably exaggerated. W- without a doubt, the people who wrote about Archimedes, and, and these were people who lived after Archimedes had died, and sometimes significantly after, uh, and they certainly had a desire to make his life loftier, perhaps than <laughs> that it is. Uh, and so, I don't know how he died. Nobody knows how he died, but the circumstances probably will never be known. But what had, what is told about it is that he was confronted by a Roman soldier while he was in the midst of solving some mathematical problem, uh, and he's often depicted uh, as scratching some figures in in the ground while this Roman soldier is standing over him, the Roman soldier told him to stand up. Archimedes refused and said something like, get away from my line, (laughs) don't bother me, at which point the Roman soldier slew him. Uh, Now, this story turned out to be a tremendous inspiration for scholars of the Middle Ages into the Renaissance. The idea that a thinker, a philosopher, a scientist, would actually give his life for the sake of his work was just a very, very dramatic inspiration for them. And so this story took on a life that, well, still Still is ongoing today and will probably always be so.
0: Well, I remember hearing that story when I was a kid. It made a big impression on me. And my teacher said, and I don't, "This wasn't in your book. I don't, I don't think." But he said that the, the Roman general that asked that he be brought in alive got so mad that he had the soldier promptly executed.
1: <laughs> well, that would be understandable if if it really happened that way. It it is. Yeah, it's almost certain that the Roman general Marcellus wanted Archimedes alive, uh, if only as a trophy to bring back to Rome, and uh, perhaps maybe for his expertise at warfare. Who knows?
0: All right, he's a most interesting man. It's an interesting book. We've been speaking with Alan Hirschfeld about the legendary Archimedes. The book is titled Eureka Man. So. Uh, Alan, thanks for coming back. And, and I know you've got a third book we haven't talked to you about, about Michael Faraday. We'll have to bring you back next year and do that one, too, I think.
1: Oh, uh, That'll be fine. Thank you.